Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, Achtung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, who is in Normandy. That's right, because we're recording this on the 6th of June, um, which, um, you know, come on, be honest. It's what, what? All right, 6th of June, 1940. <laughs> is that why you're there, Jim? <laughs> no, it is. It's four years on. It's got to be said. Um, I've been here because they've been um, naming a new street. There's a new housing development yep. um, on a site that was once um, a zigzag of German trenches and, yep. and shell craters. It's now going to be a modern housing development, and it is going to be the Rue des Chaudes Rangers. Really? Oh, that's wonderful. Rue Sherwood Rangers. Yes. So we've had we've had some absolutely fantastically comic. Um, ceremonies today yeah so the first one was was down by the um the, the old gun casement at le hamel yeah uh, at the um western edge of jig green of gold beach the western yes yeah and <laughs> basically had the french mayor of um anel um yeah. someone translating for him then lots of reef laying then a bugler from the american female bugler from the 101st airborne Lovely. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Did a very good job. Absolutely beautiful. Then we all sang. Um, then we all sang the uh, the national anthem, but but with accompanying music that was dirge like in its lack of speed, and everyone really struggled to say the words because everyone Fabulous. sort of finished. Um, and then and then we went on to the Marseillaise, which I'd never seen the words before ever consciously. Right. So we had all that. And then, and then we, an hour later, we moved to the new road. Uh, about 300 yards away and we did literally the same thing all over again right oh brilliant <laughs> you know there was the French mayor again then we had dignitaries then we had reef laying then we had the bugler again and then we had the dirge like national anthems it's really 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 funny really funny well I mean the, 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 I'll, I'll be I mean we have to be brutally honest here when put up against the Marseillais um, the British national anthem God save the Queen. It, it falls a bit. It falls it, it, a bit. I think, it, what, I, think, I think it loses. It's not a fair fight, really. <laughs> no, I mean, onwards, bataillon. Exactly. Onwards, oh, marchons, it's marchons. It's fantastic. Citoyen. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. We were, we were all sort of really struggling to keep in tune with the bad music. And, and, and the funny thing was everyone said exactly what you just said. Really, really was funny. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not a, but it's in between, a, we've been we've been on the site, and um, yeah. I got up very early this morning. And so, so what I managed to do is by looking at all those aerial photos that I got yeah. very obsessed with. Yeah, you can then match them to Google Earth. Yep. Because there's, there's always enough features on the 1944 photographs that enable you to completely perfectly marry up the two. Yeah. To Google Earth now, and the great thing about Google Earth is it's got a measuring thing on it. Right. So do you remember that, that picture of Aberdeen from A Squadron landing? Yes, yeah, absolutely. The, fa- the, the very You know, with the crater and all Aberdeen, the rest of it. Yeah. So you work out where the crater is, then you translate that onto Google Earth, and then you measure it from a key place. So you can go, okay, from WN36, which is now um, Car Park um, yeah. Surplage Mouvain, yeah. you can work out that that first crater is 
835 meters from WM36, and the second one is 888. Wow! So you then mark it exactly on your on your Google Maps, yeah, with a little waypoint, yeah, and you walk there, and when you're on exactly the same spot, you're on exactly the same spot. Same spot. That's and fantastic. I've worked out that Monty Hawley's tank that was knocked out was the first tank to be one of the first tanks to be knocked out in B yeah. Squadron. Yeah, was two hundred and thirty-two meters from the embouchure of the anti-tank gun at Lamhau. So I could then pace that out and look at that and work out exactly where his tank had been on Gold Beach. It was That's absolutely amazing and, and profoundly moving because normally when you go to Gold Beach. You're there and you sort of go, well, they all came sort of sure, sort of over there somewhere. And you sort yeah, of point yeah, in yeah. the kind of general direction. But now you can put it absolutely Where on the spot. That's amazing. So I've been doing little podcasts on the spot and having great fun doing that. And and I had a great time yesterday finding Keith Douglas yeah. where his grave was and everything and where he'd been bur- where he'd been killed and initially buried and that was also fascinating and I suddenly because I, of course when I was writing Brothers in Arms I couldn't I couldn't go up to point one oh three no of course I not no. do any of this stuff I've been there before but I hadn't picked over it with those aerial photographs yeah and now I've got I'm on the ground and I've got the aerial photographs and I've got Google Earth. And you, and again, you can work it all out and you can see exactly, you suddenly you can see why they took the route they took. And the reason yeah. they took the route that they took is because it's actually lower. It's, 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 the ridgeline falls away, which you can't see obviously from an aerial photograph. And the reason so, it's lower and they've taken that route is so they can't be seen from the village so of Adroit. It's basically dead ground. They can hide. It's dead ground. That's and suddenly you go, ah, of course, 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 of course. So I've, 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 had a, I've had a great learning time. It's been, it's been absolutely brilliant. I mean, you, really, in, really. in another, would, would you, in another edition of Brothers in Arms, would you like tweak accordingly? Is it enough to, to, to put some changes in or are you? Yeah, I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing major. It's a sentence here, it's a sentence there. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny thing. But, you know, I mean, if, 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 if Bill Scott Carter Publisher will let me, then, you know, why wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just that tiny little adjustment. To, I mean, it, I mean, having, having, you know, obviously, our trip a couple of weeks ago to Arnhem. That, 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 that's what that makes. That's what that makes you think, isn't it? Is when you actually see the ground properly. You know, that makes you go, "Oh, hang on a minute." Um, uh, on the subject of which, I'm reading Windy Gales. We've got Windy Gales. Oh with yeah, the 6th yeah. Airborne yeah, Division yeah, yeah, yeah. in Normandy. I've got I've, that. I've recorded. I've recorded a track for. Um, I've recorded a, a, a chapter of it for our patrons, which will be up. But basically, there, he keeps coming to this question of time and concentration of force. And basically, all of the battalion commanders on the night of D-Day, all the parachute battalion commanders on the night of D-Day, at some point make a decision where they go, right, I've got enough people, I'm going. Well, I'm going where I've got to go. You know, right. some of the battalions are at half strength, 60% strength. Right, okay, that's yeah. enough. that's enough waiting around, we've got to go. And that's the that's that's really interesting. That's and, the difference, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which which after all is epitomised by um, Otway at, at the Mayville Battery, where he goes, "Oh well, you know, I've only got a quarter of the people who are supposed to turn up, but we've got to get this done, so let's get on with it." And uh, that's really that's really really interesting. Or and however, also um, Lawrence Wright, who's a, who's a glider pilot. Um, Absolutely amazing. He's he a b- big figure in the glider pilot regiment. Who's the sort of, sort of a, a, another a, a sort of, um, you know, polar opposite to Chatterton. What he says um, about cons- he's cons- asked by Urquhart to consult on the decision of what drops landing zones to pick at Arnhem, and he says, 
It was not for the air side, not even for Holling, uh, Holly or Lee Mallory to say whether greater losses would be suffered in landing on bad ground near the objective in a flak area than in fighting several miles towards it with the force initially intact. That was for Urquhart to judge, and he chose the latter. So Lawrence Wright says, Wow. Urquhart chose the, Urquhart chose the landing zones. We were soon writing our orders. And who would he have been talking to? And who would Urquhart have, cho- have talked to about that? Well, that's his his own his own division. His most planners. experienced brigade commander, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was Isn't fully that interesting. He was, of course, fully aware of the basic dilemma. Although his initial force, with the advantage of surprise, might assemble successfully at an objective so distant, the protection of the zones for the next day's landings would require all the glider-borne troops in the first lift leaving only the lightly armed reconnaissance squadron and first parachute brigade to hold the bridge for 24 hours. We shall be too thin on the ground, he predicted, and he reopened the question of landing gliders on the polder, blah, blah, blah. But basically, he says, in the end, it's Urquhart's call. What they, you know, how they decide Isn't to skin that, that cat. Which is interesting. And, you know, it's another... It is interesting. Uh, another, another point of view. Anyway, um, but, but how, is it, how busy is it in um, Normandy? Is it, is, it, is it a busy anniversary? Is yeah, it quite it's quiet? interesting. Yeah, no, it's quite quiet, I'd say. Um, there's, there's, a fair, you know, there's a fair number of Jeeps and Harley-Davidson's going around and a few trucks yeah. and, and what have you. I don't know. I'm sort of... I, sort of I, I, I drove down yesterday from Cherbourg and there was a sort of... In the there, Dodge, there right? Lots of Jeeps up in the, there. There was a sort of jamboree going on at, at, at San Marigliese, as there always is. Yeah. On these things, and there was some sort of drop zone, and there were lots of people. There were, there were lots of sort of slightly overweight fifty-year-olds wearing, um, you know, hundred first, eight second airborne jump yeah. jackets and trousers and boots and everything. Yeah. And I suddenly thought, you know, you have a pageant, don't you, for a, for a, for a monarch who's been on the crown for on the throne for seventy years? And that's sort of okay, but having a pageant for D Day every year, I don't know. I don't know. I just suddenly, because I, I, I suppose I, I was sort of, you know, I spent yesterday afternoon looking for Keith Douglas's grave and for yeah. Peter Pepler's grave, and yeah, and so I was feeling contemplative and, and slightly sombre, and yeah. I suddenly, I suddenly, I suddenly lost patience with people being with frippery. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just I suddenly, I, I just suddenly thought. I suddenly thought, oh, it just seems a bit sad, sort of. You know, it's one thing. I don't mind people driving around a Jeep. Hell, I've got a Dodge, you know. But yeah. I don't know, the whole dressing up thing, it just seems a bit weird to me. I don't know. I just suddenly, I suddenly, I kind of slightly lost patience with well, the whole kind of sort of razzmatazzing it. It's the bit I've never really um, got, is the, is the truth. Um, I, and I've always sort of, I just, I, I sort of don't, under, I don't understand the impulse um, uh, uh, to, especially men in their 40s and 50s to dress up as as you know screaming eagles i mean or or all americans it's just a bit weird i mean it's one thing if you kind of it's not really it's a bit weird. i mean i think think monty's men just do it so well because when they do it they they want to understand a flavor of what it was like to live under those conditions you know living yeah. out digging in holes yeah. having crap toothbrushes and crap toothpaste yeah. and you know all that kind of stuff and corned beef and I sort of, I, I sort of understand that because what they're they're doing is they're getting to, they're getting a taste of the experience of the British Tommy in training. Yeah, and that's fine, isn't it? I mean, I sort of think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And and they are good, and they're learning from it. That you know, they're learning from the process of doing, you know, of understanding. And I think, I think that's yeah. But I think, fine. I mean, I think if the people who are there, today, but I think there's a difference. I think if the people who are there today are still there in three weeks' time, sleeping in a ditch, then we give them a pass, right? Is that what we're saying? A bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but I but, don't know. You know I've, met, I've met some, um, you know, I've met some some fans of the show, which has been lovely. Oh, great! And, um, they've been coming up and and talking to me and accosting me and what have you. And I've 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 met a lovely guy called Stefan, who's the um, he runs a museum at Tilly Sassoul and is also yeah. um, he's the, the the regional tourist man yeah. for Normandy and. You know, it's fascinating and um, and really interesting and talking about all the civilians that lost their lives in Tilly Cecil and there's, civil- yeah. you know, more civilians dying than Germans on D-Day and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Again, that that made me think and that was all, all very interesting. I mean, one thing I would say is, that, you know, the forecast was absolutely terrible today and I was sort of thinking, oh yeah, proper 6th of June, where were this? Um, but actually it's been glorious and, and, you know, Normandy just looks so lovely at this time of year. You know, it's so peaceful. And I, one thing I do think is really good is, you know, you sort of think about what were they all fighting for? Well, they were fighting for that, weren't they? Yeah. Return of normal life and people going yeah. around doing their stuff and, you know, people dressing up in their 50s as 82nd Airborne, <laughs> driving around a Jeep if they want to. You know, that's, that's freedom, right? I mean... Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know. Exactly. I mean, it's what you do with your freedom. It's up to you, of course. That's the... That's Unfortunately, that's the catch, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but, but it was, it was you know... It, it's 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 been interesting and, and you know it is always a privilege to be to be there on the, on the anniversary and uh, I mean because you know anniversaries are yeah. sort of pointless in one level but on another level they cause you to stop and think don't they and it's mm. and you know it's moving to be there on on Gold Beach looking out to sea knowing that you know seventy eight years ago there was so much um, sort of mayhem and confusion and cacophony of sound and yeah. smell and. Yeah, all the well, cliches going on. Well, um, Akak Aitchison sent me a Spotify playlist of excerpts of, um, you know, uh, uh, Churchill and then Monty and then, but then a load of reportage of people talking on D-Day. Nice. And Chester Wilmot in his glider. Yes. He, he went. He went in. You know, with with six airborne, and you hear that. What's so interesting about it is he's. You can tell he's very excited, but you can also tell he's trying to be. I'm trying to. I'm trying to stay on top of the situation. Is the way he's sort of describing. Yeah, it. and he's, he's also. He, yes, of course he is, and you can hear the of the wind through the glider. How brilliant! Right, which is That's amazing. On his microphone, I'm standing between the two pilots now, and you know, or, or we're floating above the aircraft towing us. It's all this sort of thing. And, uh, Gosh, and, I'm definitely going to have a listen to but, that. But tomorrow. what's so interesting, though, is he talks about the, the it's the sort of the grammar of the commentary. So he says, you know, none of these chaps are none of these chaps are um, uh, have any illusions about what they're getting into, but none of them are uh, none of them are overawed and all that. So he's saying all the things that maybe they're bromides, but they're also the things the things that that are true, but also the things that need to be said. Every now and again, from the back of the glider, I hear snatches of song and all this sort of thing. When I went down there earlier, they were singing Real Britannia and all this sort of thing. And you kind of think, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but we need this is what we need to hear. And and it's the it's yeah. the, it's the yeah. most fascinating point for reportage to sit at because he's he's got so many, as a reporter, and you know, and he went to write that fantastic um History of, of victory in the West, you know, the, 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 because he was basically mm. then attached himself to Monty's TAC, um, TAC HQ, didn't he? And, and had access to go everywhere and all this sort of thing. But basically, the way he's commentating on it is so interesting because he's he's doing so many jobs all at once. He's telling right. you, he's describing it to you, but he's also like reassuring the people at home who might think my son's on one of those gliders. And he's, you know, yes. he's not giving any, not giving any security information away and all that sort of thing. Although interestingly, Gail got all of the embedded journalists in, 
Um, uh, uh, you know, an embedded is an anachronism. That that's not what they were. But he got all of the those guys in, and the day before briefed them on what was happening, so that yeah, so that they would be able to report. He wanted them to be able to understand when they saw something that might be strange or apparently unnecessary that it had its role in what they were trying to achieve. So he briefed them. He he briefed the journalists. Um, on what was going on. And what's also really interesting, I mean, fascinating, the stuff about the preparations for D-Day for, for, for Six Airborne, is that everyone in the division was briefed on the um, on everything. So they were all told exactly what they were, what their objectives were, what the division's objectives were, what the, you know, and all the way, all the way down. So that because you might get lost, if someone said, well, we're off to the bridge at at the Deve or whatever, you'd know what that meant. And you'd, and if you, you know, if they decided to take you with you, you'd go. And, and this un- understanding of the divisional's, division's objectives as part of how he would um, brief his men. And he, and he says, I don't like the, he says, I like the, I like the idea of briefing. I don't like the issuing of orders. What you do at a briefing is you give the order and then you have a discussion about how you're going to go about it afterwards and a proper, a proper to and fro like collegiate approach to meeting those Gosh, objectives. Gosh, isn't that interesting? Absolutely fascinating. His style is so interesting. And it, and and then I mean, that's course, not far off Mission Command, is it? Well, it, well, no. And this is this is the thing, you know. When you start start looking through it, and uh, uh, and he's also really interesting about the fact that airborne divisions can't be with their administrative tail, right? When they're preparing to to um uh go on a drop on an operation. No, of course not. So what you have is Brigadier Fla- Fla- Flavel or Flavel, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, who commanded 1st Power Brigade in North Africa. When that, op- when that ends, he's sent back to, the, back to the UK and he sets up the airborne establishment troops, right? And what they do is they're the cooks and cleaners that provide for the people about to go on an operation who are airborne and so understand the culture and understand what's required, but who then don't come in the tail. And the divisional tail is sent by sea or by road with the clerks and the cooks and the, the, the stuff that a normal division would have, but that isn't dropped in. So well, they, the 43% they, of service corps or whatever. Exactly. So they, set the, so they deliberately set this thing up that would go into the camps, you know, at Tarrant Rush or whatever, that would provide for the airborne so that, so that they, could, they could train and practice and rehearse on site with the REF. But not be away, but 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 not lack the sort of support mechanism that they need is really really interesting, and it's interesting that it's Flavel who's got the experience in North Africa who's put in charge of that because he yeah, knows he knows what you're going to need before you go on an operation because he's done one, and it, it it's right. a recycling of people is really really interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, this. I mean, you know, when you when you're talking about. So, you know, Germans will have mission command and, and, and allies don't. I mean, except, 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 except. I mean, yeah, 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 you, yeah. Know, you keep coming you to know, it. Yeah. Except, except the German troops that don't have mission command because they're all grunts from the lost battalions and they don't want to yeah. do it. Or, yeah. or except the kind of, yeah. you know, your infantry battalion that's just arrived in theatre and yeah. none of them want to be there apart from kind of a couple. Yeah. You know, so obviously they're not going to have mission command because they're not interested in having mission command. They just want to be led. Yeah. They're not yeah. interested in that initiative, but the moment you give you you you're looking at volunteers like the paratroopers and stuff. Of yeah. course, they've got mission command. Yeah, it's about thinking on your feet. It's about yeah. stepping up when you need to. 
Orders, of course, have to be issued. They must, too, be clear, crisp and free from all ambiguity. But the atmosphere of briefing is what counts. In this briefing, the order comes first, then follows the discussion and explanation of the why and the wherefore of everything. That's the that's Gale's command philosophy, which I think... That, that, well, that I, would, I would say that's pretty much how the Sherwood Rangers operate as well. They have their own groups at the end of the day, and they, you know, these are the orders that we, tomorrow we've got to do this. Yeah. You know, but how you how you do it is... Yeah. You know, okay, you're going to be you're going to be with the seventh Duke of Wellington Regiment, yeah, battalion, seventh battalion of the Duke of Wellingtons, and yeah. and you know, Major this is Semkin, what we need you. Own. This is what you need you need you to do now. Go and bash your heads together and figure out how you're going to do it. it, it, it well, that's it? the whole point of an own group, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating though. It's not just to tell you. I mean, different people have different styles, and different people interpret these things in, in different ways. Yeah. So a, a much more sort of autocratic battalion commander might be much more kind of prescriptive. Yeah. But others, I mean, certainly like Stanley Christopherson, you know, he was incredibly collegiate. Yeah. Well, and that's... So I just, I don't buy any of this kind of hard and fast rule on any of this. I don't think you can, I don't think you can say, say, you know, one nation has mission command, the other, the other, but that's the other a, but, doesn't. But say so within, the, within the British Army, that's also not just because the British Army has always been sort of decentralised in terms of the way it organises its... Uh, training and that, that its doctrine is it's handing down its creation of doctrine is a decentralized process necessarily because it's an imperial force it's also to do yeah. with the fact that it's expanded really really rapidly and massively it's got all sorts of different people coming into it with different approaches to life you know it's full of mm. civilians suddenly who aren't aren't part of the way the army does things necessarily and bring their own experience because because experience of management and experience of dealing with people in their in their you know their real lives, as it were, and that's gonna that's also gonna collide with the way the, the the way an army might like to do things or might say it likes to do things. After all, you know, always there's this gap between how the army says it likes to do things and then how it actually does th- something. We, yesterday, we who was I d- d- debating with it was Rob Lyman and I were talking about something o- o- on Twitter, and this chap pops in and goes, "Oh well, you know, this is the idea of of um, systems and culture." Right. And he says that, you know, an institution has its culture and then it has the systems it attempts to enforce. Right. And culture eats uh, processes it tries to enforce. And he says culture eats process every single time. So, in other words, the culture of the organization, you can try and insert a process into an organization. But if it's culture, if it's culture won't let you, it won't let you, you know. So so what you have to do is create a culture and ethos. (laughs) And, and and that's how you then get it to run a process, right. not the other yeah. way around. If you try to do the other well, way but around, I think, you... but I think what you were just saying about about the British Army also applies to the Americans, yeah, uh, and possibly even more so. Where there's, you know, a, a, um, a, an officer has absolutely has has authority, but it's much more egalitarian society in a society yeah. point of view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know obviously things are changing by 1944 in the British yeah. Army, but 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 even so. But again, I think it's it's. I mean, it's interesting because you know I've been thinking a lot about about obviously the last couple of days about the Sherwood Rangers because that's why I'm over here. Yeah, you know, I sort of think about about Stanley Christopherson taking over formally on the fifteenth. He takes over on the eleventh informally, and then it's that's confirmed on the on the fifteenth. Yeah, and I think he has a conscious thought about how to do this. Like, right, I'm going to do it differently because his his predecessor was Mike Laycock. Yeah. Mike Laycock was a legend in the in the regiment. First person to get an MC in tanks at the Battle of Alamhal from 31st of 
of August 1942. Yeah. But he's also known as Black Mike because he's got this ferocious temper and everyone's scared of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got a great sense of humour when he's chilled, but he can absolutely flip. Yeah, and and you, and I think that as they come out of the line on the thirteenth, this is two days after the kind of the hit on the on the regimental HQ, which kills Laycock. Yeah, they come out of the line. They go to this place called Chuen, which actually I went through today, which was really interesting, uh, and, and that's where John Semkin slept for fourteen hours through the medium guns in the next yeah. orchard. Yeah, and I think in that time between him taking but coming out of the line and. Um, being formally given command of the regiment on the 15th of June, I think Stanley has some quite serious thinking to do. And I think, I think he thinks, right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to embrace this. I, I do want to be the regimental commander because I'm ambitious. Yeah. But I also think I can do a good job. And I'm going to approach this in a different way. I am always going to have a smile on my face. I am going to make sure that the morale of the men is always kept up. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make sure that no one is scared of me, but everyone absolutely respects me. And, yeah. you know, when I say jump, people jump. But I'm going to do it through 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 well, trust and and respect rather than coercion. Well, well maybe and he's I, think- and I think he, I, you know, so this is this is it's it's a bit like Gale, isn't it? It's a yeah. different approach to leadership. Yeah. Well, and is he thinking I won't get away with that because Laycock had the authority as of having been around for ages and and you know being the guy with the first MC in tanks, but I haven't got I won't get away with with bollocking people. I haven't got the authority. Well, he's got to a DSO it, and an MC, so he's you know well, yeah, but, he hasn't but, got gongs himself. But, 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 but you know what I mean is that is that, or, or maybe he's thinking more of the same isn't going to work. We're in a different situation. Yeah, I think it's. I suspect it's that. I, I think it's that. I think he. I think he's mature enough at thirty-two, and he's been around the block enough. You know, he worked in some. You know, in a gold mine in South Africa before yeah. then he worked in the city he's very sociable he knows lots of people and he's been around the block and he's and, and you can tell from his diaries and journals that he was it was ambitious for the for the regiment because I think he thought that was the best chance they had of getting through unscathed by yeah. being good and trying yeah. to be get better yeah and I think he spent a lot of time thinking about all this stuff and I think he thought right I'm go- I'm gonna be me I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that that we're a happy ship yeah. Uh, above, uh, you know, above everything else, I'm going to look out for everyone. You know, he he put a great system around him. He 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 never did anything that, you know, he never asked anyone to do anything that he wouldn't be prepared, prepared to do prepared himself. To himself. All those yeah. kind of things. But I think he, I, I think his approach to leadership was much more collegiate. Yeah. And uh, and I think it was incredibly successful. Yeah. For, for for taking that approach and and. Again, that that just sounds a bit like Gale to me. And, and, yeah, it does. Yeah, you know, as soon as you were saying all that stuff at the beginning, I was thinking, God, oh, that's just really interesting. I've just been thinking about Stanley. Yeah, and I think how I, I think there is so much latitude within the U.S. Army and the Canadian Army and the British Army in Normandy. You know, Northwest Europe, and I and I suspect that's also true for Italy as well. Yeah, for for actually for 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 different approaches, different leadership styles, but also different approaches to how you fight, and, and as long as the kind of overall is the same. Yeah, there is this. There is there isn't this this centralization of doctrine. Yeah, it is, it, it it is spread out, isn't it? It's a decentralized view of it, and I think that's it's fascinating because after all, I mean, it, as you say, he's been around the block. He's he's managed people. He's worked with people, and and civilians. So he's thinking, I've got civilians here to mobilize rather than I'm a soldier. How do I mobilize soldiers? He may be thinking, yeah. what have I learned on Civvy Street about how you mobilise? But, you know, if he's been working in mining, he's had to deal with people working in difficult conditions, hasn't he? So he, yeah. knows, he, he knows that maybe the best way to motivate people like that is to, is to treat them well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, 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 
and, and that must that maybe that's informing it, and maybe also the idea. I if I come in and I if I have a black temper, they'll think more of the same, and maybe that won't work. You know, it, it, it it's because after all, it, well, I think he recognizes he's got to be true to himself. He's yeah. got to be, you know, he is he 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 he's a different character to my Laycock. Yeah. He's not someone who who suffers from kind of sort of black rages. Yeah, um, and and I think he think you know he's seen enough commanding officers and, and been with the Sherwood Rangers long enough and seen enough different people come and go that he thinks, no, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do it in a more relaxed manner. I'm going to maintain my that authority, but I'm basically going to be, I'm, I'm going to have a nicer, kind of more humane approach to to command. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly successful. Yeah. You know, and the fact that they have that Christmas party for the for the people of Shinin in, in 1944, you know, where they do dress up and have a sleigh and, yeah. you know, dragged by a, Stuart Tank and yeah, all the men save their sweet ration to give to the local kids and stuff. That's that's absolutely come from him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's you know and- it's really interesting. And then you think about someone like General Ivor Ivor Thomas, commander of the Forty Third Wessex Division. Whoever you know, everyone calls. I mean, they call him Von Tomer after yeah, Chief of Staff of the Africa Corps. Yeah, uh, uh, and others call him Butcher Thomas. Yeah, you know, he's considered to be this incredible driver, a man of no sense of humour whatsoever. You know, dark dark moods and yep. sacking brigade commanders left, yep. right and centre. But 43rd Wessex decision, a division are still there at the end of the end of the war, aren't they? And they're incredibly successful. Well, I mean, it, uh, in lots of ways, this reminds me also of, you know, uh, uh, of, of Spike Milligan's two, um, uh, you know, um, commanding officers. So there's Chater Jack, who's the, you know, who makes sure they have Christmas parties, who looks after them, who knows everyone by name, who's his first... Yeah. Um, uh, uh, battery commander, and then there's the then there's the uh, fellow regiment regimental commander, and then there's the fellow after him, which is when Milligan has his breakdown, and Milligan says about it, I'm sure he's a good soldier, but he just wasn't any good at looking after me, and and yeah. he's all tempers and tirades and pull your finger out and get right. short, sort yourself out, and you're a shirker and all this sort of thing, in the way that Chater Jack, who precedes him, isn't. You know this guy, this Jumbo Simpson. I think his name is. I can't remember anyway. But 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 Milligan doesn't like him, and the and the feelings mutual, and the and the sort of all the kind of fun around it goes out of it when they get this new officer, which I think is really really yeah. interesting. And then his breakdown follows, and maybe he'd have had the breakdown anyway. But it's this, it's the, it's the clearly that someone can come in and put their stamp on things, and that they've got the latitude to do that, and the leeway, and the, and that the army sort of. But you know, kind of baggy enough, flexible enough for someone to be able to do that is also, I think, is really interesting in itself. That you know, that yeah, the, I agree. That the, the, the army's that sort of flexible. Anyway, we're going to take a very short break, and we'll be back um, after these messages. Hello, everyone. My name is Ned Holland, and my debut EP, Slow Down, has just come out on all streaming platforms. The fourth track on this EP is called Away, and it features the amazing Willow Murray, Al Murray's daughter, on the backing vocals. There's five songs, it's 18 minutes long. I really hope you feel you can listen to this. Head to my Instagram account at Neddy the Musician for more information. Thank you. Nothing that'll stop you as you go further away. 
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making Talk with um, me, Al Murray and James Holland. And a quick reminder for those of you um, who are wondering what to do with your uh, weekends in July. Um, We have got (laughs) a fantastic festival for you. Um, We Have Ways Fest. I'm I'm sure many of you have heard us wang on about this, but here we go. This July, it's our second annual summer festival. We Have Ways Fest. It's from the 22nd of July, which is a Friday, to Sunday, July the 24th. It's our own jubilee of military <laughs> platy jubes of military uh, chat um three tents all about the best with the best second world war historians coming to talk about their specialisms max hastings on churchill rana mitter on the war in china katrin himmler or being a descendant of a senior senior nazi 40 speakers in all including grassroots speakers in the form of andy akakachison talking about his beloved 52nd lowland division um we've got 50 plus andy chatterton. and uh, andy chatterton to talk about the stay behinds i mean the, the uh, uh, Rob Lyman, um, an essential list is endless of people. Um, uh, we've also got 50 plus military vehicles, including a T-34, Sherman's, a Centaur and a Grant. And every evening to close proceedings, we'll be firing a 3.7 inch anti-aircraft gun into the night sky. There'll be lots to eat and drink. It'll be following the searchlight. Exactly. Uh, with the searchlight. Exactly. Um, for details on speakers, hardware, how to get there, what's going on and the general vibe, which was very, very agreeable last September. Um, go to wehavewaysfest.co.uk. That's wehavewaysfest.co.uk. Um, there we go. Our commercial we, we got some. We've got some interesting ales coming, haven't we? We've got a flying dustbin. Yes, we've got flying dustbin. I, I fancy a pint of flying dustbin. I don't know about you. I, I do too. I fancy... Um, <laughs> a, 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 we've, we've got craft with two Fs pills. Yes, yes, which is... <laughs> After a certain villain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the villains uh, of the piece. Craft. <laughs> um, and we've got um, Jumping Jim Gavin. 
Ale. Yep. Jumping Jim Gavin Ale. Um, and the labels for these have been done by one of our um, uh, regulars. Paul um, Davis. Paul Davis, who's done an amazing job. The Jumping Jim Gavin level, label is fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. He's coming He's coming at a very high, very high bar. And the idea is, but, as well um, as the speakers, we get together, we chat, we'll be around. You can you can come and bend our ear about whatever you want to talk about. Um all the speakers will be around, won't they? Uh, in fact, all the speakers will be around, and we're we're very much looking forward to seeing you there. Um, uh, yeah, there we go. No, it'd, be, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, heavy plug a lot ends. Of fun. Now, um, Jim, did, <laughs> the, uh, how did you get to? Did you go to Cherbourg? Yeah, I went to Cherbourg, Paul Cherbourg, took the Citroen over, absolutely purred all the way down. You know, back on home turf, very very okay. happy. And um, yeah, no, it's it's, it's 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 lovely being back here, and 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 for the first time since I've been back here. I mean, I came back here in March with. Actually, quite a lot of um, IC members, but yeah. but for the first time, it feels it feels proper again. It feels normal. It feels yeah. you know, no one's wearing masks. You don't have to wear masks anywhere. It just feels back to normal. Good, um, and and you you can you can see people sort of breathing a sigh of relief about it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's it's great. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really. Really lovely. I, I just can't tell you how much I enjoyed. I mean, it, I mean, if people tune in, you'll you'll hear the podcast I recorded yeah. yesterday. But I, I really, really just found it so fascinating. Really picking picking over point one hundred three. You know, this is this is this key bit of high ground for the Sherwood Rangers and Eighth Armour Brigade and Fiftieth Division. And in the big scheme of things, it's a it's it's a nothing action. But but there's a joy about about learning about. A, something very specific, I think, yeah. and, and seeing it as a, as a kind of sort of light motif for the wider battle that's going on in yeah. Normandy, and, and, and pouring over one bit of ground because inevitably when you're in Normandy, what you do is you you rush from one beach to another, and one minute you're in Omar, and then you're in Gold, and quickly sort of have a quick look at a museum, and yeah. then you go through the kind of tourist trap of Pont de Hoc, and you know occasionally you go inland and you've got you know i don't know an hour at hill 192 above san lo or something yeah. like that if you're really adventurous but there's very little time to properly pour over it yeah. and and I, as you know i just got so excited about these wartime photographs because they're just so they're so illuminating and yeah. photographs don't lie yeah. and you can see what and, and matching things up and you know really trying to go and suddenly things start to make sense in a way, I don't know. We keep going on about it, but it's, it's when you're there and you, and you've got these three different sources. You've got your own eyes. You've got so so you can absorb what it is that the landscape that you're in and how it relates to other bits of other landscape. Yeah. Then you've got wartime photographs plus records such as war diaries and people's personal diaries and stuff. And then you've got Google Earth as well. So and, and when you put that whole jigsaw together, suddenly there is this. This moment of clarity, and, and and that's what I had yesterday, and that was that was really thrilling. And and you know, I sort of had little moments of that as well. At you know, when we were in um, when we were in Arnhem and Nijmegen, yeah. yeah, you know, you know, there's little moments, there's little moments like like the, the in the wood north of, you know, north way to the north where fourth um, fourth brigade got yeah. got hammered, yeah, and we were on the edge of where, where was it? T Company wasn't it? R Company, yeah. Tim Timothy, yeah, yeah north of the drop zone and, and and I suddenly just stood there and I just suddenly thought oh yeah I kind of I get this now yeah in a way that I hadn't before and 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 those those moments that they're worth so much more than the five seconds they take for the penny to drop yeah yeah well I, I mean the thing that, that they last they linger with you and they 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 prompt further thought and contemplation and pieces start to fall together but that walk up to Dane Brink and then back when we when we were in Arnhem suburb that one between the railway mm. I mean the 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 the, the, so many things happen on that Tuesday, including 
after they after they've been forced out of the museum, the South Staffs are then ordered to attack Danebrink, take Danebrink, and and um, not only that, but uh, you know, eleven power have been sent down to is it ten or I can never is it ten or eleven who've been sent down to the town, right? They're waiting in the open and they've been told you're going to back the staffs up. So they're waiting in the open. Then they're told they're not. And they, mm. they're, they're waiting to put an attack in, in that road between the hospital and uh, that stretch of road by the railway line and around the back of the hospital. They're basically formed up waiting to go. They're told they've got, they, they're told that they're told to go. They're told to stop in backing the South Staffs. Then they're told, and this is where they get caught out and destroyed. Then they're told to attack across the railway line in order to meet That's up right. with the rest of 4th Brigade. And you think, yeah, who must be there, who will surely be there by now, is the, is the thinking. And they're nowhere near. And of course they're nowhere near. And, and it's this sort of, you think, God, bloody hell, you know, the, 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 how disjointed it is. But once you've, seen, once you've seen where it happened, the confusion is sort of, because uh, 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 um, because actually those things, those things are far enough away, all those different places are far enough away from each other for people to be isolated and not know what's going on around them. And mm. so on. You, you you know what I mean. And I and I just just and be... maybe that. But maybe that's also one of the challenges of leadership is yeah. to try and make things as clear as possible. Yeah. In times of confusion and mayhem, and, yeah. and keep people on the, on a path. Yeah. And and actually, that's a very good reason for not having too rigid an order, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. because things are always changing all the time, which is why you need to think on your feet and why you need to kind of be able to respond to things rather than well, and also be maybe... sent in to do something where the evidence that that's the right decision is is, is really flaky. But also, I was maybe also really only struck have... by that whole thing about Bill Simpson, you know, of yeah. 9th, U.S. Ninth Army. Yeah, yeah. Making sure that he personally spoke to his corps commanders every single yes. day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come what may, end of the yeah. day, they have a chat. It's, it's such a simple thing, isn't it? Yeah, but then, but then, I mean, but but and also, but you've got a clarity of aim because this what what happens in the town there is they can't make up their mind what they've got to do, and they no they, because they, because because they 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 thought they knew what they had to do. That's not working. and that's all gone awry. So so plan B and C. The, they're sort of slightly rabbits in headlights, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, a bit. yeah, yeah. But I mean, what's very interesting is, you know, Gail, Gail does do some rushing about um, uh, on the night of D-Day, which is very interesting. Does he? Yeah. So he goes down to make, he he, he, he sort of, he, get, he gets out of his glider. They can't get the Jeep out of the glider. They abandon that. So they're, they're on foot. Kindersley, who's the uh, commanding officer of um, uh, Six Air Landing, he's come down the, on the night of D-Day ahead of his brigade so that he knows what's going on before they turn up, which is quite interesting, um, uh, with his headquarters. So he's ready for his brigade to arrive in the second lift in the evening, right? Which I think is a, an interesting yeah. an interesting way of approaching the whole thing. But Gail goes goes down to to um, the bridge the bridges, you know, to check on what's happening with Seven Power and um, having relieved the bridges to find out what's going on. And he does a fair bit of finding out what's happening so he knows what's going on, even though he knows everyone's shorthand and it's chaotic and that the Germans are, bit, are, are, are pretty well prepared to counterattack. And what's really interesting also is he basically says, uh, 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 and the tone of his book is very interesting because it's not a how I won the war book at all. Um, right. it, it's all quite pared down and it's not like, you know, it's not. Had I've it got it. Been, I've just never read it. It's, it's not got any of that. Had it not been for me in it, you know, it's not got any of that stuff, right? Good. But, but he That's basically, refreshing. well, exactly. But he basically says, "Here are the two points I was anxious about. This is what we expected the Germans to do. 
I mean, they did it. They did what they did what we'd anticipated. So he says we're expecting a push up, um, up the Beneville side, you know, um, of the of the yeah. cana- of the canal, and then we're expecting a, a push up from Colombelle towards Ronville. And he said, you know, until third division arrived, the the the, the, the former is the one I was really worried about because that could detach mm-hmm. the division from um, being relieved. Um, but that doesn't really, that kind of happens, but doesn't materialise in any proper strength. Then the second attack, that materialises in the morning, but but they're able to deal with it. It's, just, he's, it's fascinating. But he said, basically, what I was expecting is everyone local to counterattack to the best of their ability. And that's what we, and then some higher up decision about what to do about us by the German command would happen later on D-Day itself. And that's basically what happens. And his anticipation um, is is all fairly sound. You know, his, his basic problem, yeah. though, is that everyone's under strength and, the, and the, they're, you know, everyone's operating at 40, 60, 40 to 60% um, of battalion strength. Which is like, you know, but they carry on anyway. Like I said earlier on, they go, oh, well, right, we're off. You know, Pine Coffin's like, right, we're off. That's it. That's what we're going to do. Johnston, all of them. You know, well, we're going to just have to get on with it, aren't we? Which I think is really, really interesting because because they know time is of the essence. They've decided they've, that's the one thing they've got yeah. into their heads. I think this whole thing of this, this, I mean, this has been a really interesting discussion, isn't it, about yeah. leadership and yeah. How you respond to different situations and stuff, and I, 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 the other thing I was just sort of thinking about today is just you know, for frontline troops, the the mental and physical stress and strain of being in the line too long. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting that the battles and actions tend to seem, you know, for one unit, tend to last between four and six days, and usually yeah. four days. Yeah, because after that, you just can't function. Yeah, and then imagine you're kind of, you know, you're twenty three and you've got to. You've got a company to command and, you know, you've got to make all these decisions. You're really short of sleep and you, all, all you want to do is go home and lie on crisp sheets and yeah. someone bring you a cup of tea and a, and a, you know, and a, and a cold flannel to put on your forehead. Yeah. And you can't. And, it, and I just, it's just, it's, it's so awe-inspiring. Yeah, it is. How these people did this. It, it, it really- and, 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 you know, we, we, we sit here kind of 80 years on sort of going, well, of course, you know, you made a terrible decision there. Yeah, I know. Will you freaking do it then? Well, this is well, this is very often how I feel. I sort of end up wanting to shy away from from saying, "Well, you know, he screwed that up," because you know, God knows the the. It's like it's like when we were talking about Melanie the other day. You know about um about surrendering um uh surrendering the high ground there, and I I, I'm thinking, oh, you know, the pressure poor bastard was under, you know. I, I've never been under that. I've never been under any, any, anything. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's still a terrible decision, which is what you said, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, but the thing is, I've never been under any, under any kind of pressure vaguely resembling any of this. That's, you know, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things when, you know, when I was write, starting to write this, the first introduction I wrote to, to, to the book that, I've, that went in the bin was basically like, I feel very dubious about judging any of these people. Right, because yeah. they're, de- they're dealing with pressures wildly beyond beyond anything I've ever. You know, I mean, people. I mean, people say I've had oh, some you- fraught moments being chairman of the Chalk Valley Cricket Club. 
<laughs> but this is, you know, people go, oh, you know, how did you, <laughs> you're so it. brave being a stand-up comedian. I'm thinking, no, I'm, no, I am not. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me tell you what's brave. Yeah, exactly. Different form of courage. Different exactly. form of courage. Al. No, no, but... <laughs> an entirely unrelated uh, um, disease. Wanting to be a stand-up comedian. It's nothing to do with being brave. It's about having some sort of personality flaw. I mean, it... it, it I don't know. It's just, just recently, you know, we, we've, we've done a lot. You know, we, we looked at that Paul Fussell essay. Yeah. We, we, we've been to Arnhem and Nijmegen. We've been looking yeah. at kind of Gavin's decision cycle. Um, I've been thinking about Stanley Christopherson and, yeah. and the Squadron Commanders of the Show with Rangers today. You know, it's, you've been reading Windy Gale. It, it's, it's just so absorbing, isn't it? It's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And, and they're all... They're all different, and, and but the stresses and pressures and strains that these guys are under are, are just yeah. fearsome, aren't they? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's been fascinating doing this, just pausing and thinking about all this, because because a lot of the stuff we've been doing over the last three weeks or so has been about individual decision making. Well, and- well, I well, I guess because actually, I bet that's the thing I've been really thinking about. In uh, uh, that, that we looked, we actually ended up um, uh, talking about about you know Browning and Browning and um, and Gavin make that decision about the Bridget Nijmegen. It's not Gavin. It's not Browning. They, the pair of them make it. Now, how does how's that process? Because after all, the, the, the you know Browning might be might Browning. Maybe he's taking the advice of his junior, which is what you're supposed to do, isn't it? You ask the guy who's close to the ground and then you make a decision. So maybe it's Gavin's decision and Browning's endorsing it. Or is it Browning handing the decision down? <laughs> or is it the two of them going, well, golly gee, what's the most important thing, the high ground? We don't know. that. that and, you know, very often we approve of people. In management culture, you're supposed to approve of juniors taking the initiative and making their own decisions, aren't they? Yeah. Aren't, aren't you? You're yeah. supposed to encourage it. You're supposed to foster yeah. it. You're supposed to yeah. um, uh, uh, think it. Think Otherwise, it, how how can they ever be trusted with their own? Precisely. You know, so maybe that. When so maybe that's what Browning does. Is he goes? I concur. You're absolutely right. You're the guy on the ground. You know what your capabilities yeah. are more than anyone else. So you make that. I'm totally fine with that, Jim. But that's presented as oh, Browning. By some, that's seen as Browning like going. Do as do as I tell you, and the same thing with when we were talking about Urquhart consulting with Lathbury. We talked about this on the live cast the other night. That Lathbury's Lathbury's Urquhart is with Lathbury in Arnhem. Lathbury's the most experienced brigade commander in the brigade by a really long way. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. And and so Clearly he's, he's going to have an influence, isn't he? He's going to have an influence, and so so who you know is that a is that a bad i mean it's a wrong decision but did they arrive at it the wrong way or did they arrive at it the right way because yeah, after all that's yeah, yeah. The, you know there's all that there's all that too isn't there and yeah. lathbury knows his guys better than anyone else especially if Urquhart's from out of town as he's always portrayed so you know he's maybe he's doing the right thing by defer by by, by delegating which is so he can so he can sit above and make higher decisions yeah. you know it's it's and which is after all you know had everything gone right, we'd be talking what, but, about what brilliant devolved leadership that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. If that's well, what it was, of course. If you're talking about if you're talking about decision making and leadership on D-Day, then the, then one of the biggest is obviously on the morning of 
4th of June with the rain slating down and yeah. he's got to make the decision Eisenhower's got to make the decision everyone in the room in the library at, at, at Southwark Park is, Southwark House is looking at him yeah. and he holds his head in his hands thinks for a minute and then looks up and goes okay let's go yeah. I mean that's a big decision well but but then but then look at the look at the other the other side you know how bad are they at making decisions about I mean after all we keep the mission commanders. Um, I really need to go and see my wife. <laughs> but exactly, I've, it's my wife's birthday. Sorry, lads, I'm out of here. You know, I mean, yeah. hasta la um, vista. I'm off to see. Exactly, see, and we're not going to wake the boss up. I'm off to see my up. wife and the Führer. Exactly, I'm not going to wake the boss up until after lunch. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when we because after all, we why do we talk about mission command? Because people have talked about mission command. You know, which 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 is the, the air of alpha tactic. Yet the terrible decision making going on by the people who supposedly possess this magic way of doing it. That's totally brilliant at making decisions. Yeah. 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 That's very true. You know, the, the very true. sort of ironies that ping around in that, you know, that, oh, you know, after yeah. the war, looking to the Germans for answers to how you do things. Well, what you, what you don't do is go home for your it's wife's birthday, go home for your wife's birthday and leave the decisions to a politician. Well, you know? It's amazing how often senior, senior commanders are missing at crucial moments. Yes, and, well, know, attack and well, Operation that, Diadem and all that. Well, that that um, that uh, um, ultra one of the ultra books suggests that's that there's something going on there. There's a yeah Allied right. smoke and mirrors thing in that. Anyway, I need to go and eat some escargot yes. and some calvados, drink some calvados jammy, or whatever. Jammy git. Yeah, it's all, it's, all. it's all right for some. Well, thanks, Jim. Um, uh, Where are you off to? Where are you off to this week then? Um, I am in Carlisle on Wednesday, and then I um, nice. uh, and I haven't memorised the rest of my diary. Let me. T- <laughs> it's, I can't bear. Well, if you're driving out to Carlisle, you can go to that really nice service station. Yeah, can't you, I'm getting it? the train. Carlisle, Hull, Birmingham, and then I'm off to the south of France on the weekend. Woo! Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Um, uh, don't forget, um, we have WaysFest.co.uk if you fancy coming to see our festival and seeing us do this in the flesh. You can. You can. Um, uh, it, it endure this uh, kind of uh, a, a freewheeling conversation for real. Oh yeah, and also I've got I've just uh, today day of recording we're we're announcing that my my brothers in arms tour. We're going from from Calshot where they embarked all the way through to Karlshofen. Amazing. In a little village where the war ended for the show and race. We're literally doing everything, and that is this October. And Amazing. you can find that on tripsmiths.com. Okay, brilliant. Well, there we've done our hustle. Um, thanks for listening, yeah. everybody. Jim's off out to eat Treep de Caen and drink himself senseless with delicious Norman <laughs> cider, I expect. Um, we'll see you again uh, really soon. A glass of cedar. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cheerio. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Au revoir.